You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety, the podcast from Lighthouse Hockey. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this very cold evening via Skype is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, we were uh, we were in a pretty good mood last week. Are you ready to get back to some uh, straightforward schedule anxiety? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I actually miss the Islanders, so I, I, I don't know how it's going to be tonight. Uh, I miss them so much I just was on Brendan Witt's Twitter for like 20 minutes before this. It, it, just in a rabbit hole. It's very weird how they just sort of like turned it off and we'll, they'll turn it back on again uh, in a couple of days. And uh, joining us uh, tonight to uh, speak about when they come back uh, from their long break is our friend Arthur Staple of The Athletic. Art, thanks for coming on with us. Good to be here. I was not on the rabbit hole of Brennan Witt's Twitter uh, recently, but uh, but I applaud Mike for, for spending some quality time doing that because Brennan's a great guy. I was going to say, yeah, he is. Gonna be on, I miss him a lot. If you're going to spend time on some one person's Twitter account, that's probably the right one, right? I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, so I, I would, uh, I would ask you how, if how uh, relaxing your all-star break was, but I know that with a newborn in the house, words like break and relaxing are kind of relative terms. <laughs> so I guess I'll just ask uh, how everybody, uh, how's everybody doing over at clan staple these days? Everybody's great. Uh, not sleeping a ton and, uh, but, 
that's uh, that's fine. I, I'm I'm interested to see how it's going to go when uh, when I have to go cover a game. I did cover a few between the time the the baby arrived and the All Star break came up, but uh, but now I feel like she's hitting a new phase of you know the the lungs are more powerful. Um, so yeah, my um, maybe my next appearance will be. Uh, <clears throat> will be after I've retired from the athletic because my wife has threatened me with bodily harm for covering any more hockey games. But we'll see. Yeah, well, you, you got to. It's uh, it's a it's a real balancing act. <laughs> I know I've been there, and uh, you know, you guys are working out. But I'm glad to hear everybody's uh, doing well. Uh, but we're going to talk about your other family, your uh, professional family, <laughs> at least for a little while. Uh, so uh, before before the break, I'm kind of curious um, about what you kind of thought the the players uh feeling was about this i, I know we're going to use the word first half but it's really more of like you know 50 games or so like kind of where they thought they were uh at the all-star break and you know they're feeling I, what one thing i like about it is that they kept talking about how the job isn't done and there's a lot more to do um is that the feeling you got from them or did you kind of feel that they were like yeah we're pretty good maybe this is uh this is going to be a great season for us no and, and i think you know, it's not just the message from from Lou Lamarello and the message from Barry Trotz, who are guys who have certainly been around the block plenty. And that's, you know, that's a different feeling. I mean, you know, it's not a knock against Garth Snow or Doug Wade or Jack Capuano, but uh, but those are guys just with whatever their pro experience was as players and as coaches at the minor league level. Um, it was different at the NHL level for them, as you know, Garth obviously being a a one team uh, general manager and and both those other coaches only having coached for the Islanders. So I think when you've got guys that have been around the block a little bit and been, you know, either been to Stanley cups or, or been close or been on bad, you know, coach bad teams or, you know, run bad teams. I think, uh, I think the perspective sinks in a little bit more, especially with the many guys in the Islanders who have never played anywhere other than the Island. So I think um, just having that broader perspective, um, grounded them pretty well from the start. And when they started to play well, I think it's just, you know, it, it is a cliche, but it's a, it's always nice to be reminded that these guys are among the best in the world. And even when they've failed the last couple of years and, and had uh, plenty of invective hurled their way and sometimes justifiably. So they're still pretty good players. And I think being on a good team, um, I remember uh, in uh, 2014, 15, which was really kind of the Islanders, breakout years everybody remembers sitting with Kyle Opozo and his his mantra that year was we're a good team and he would kind of start a lot of sentences with we're a good team so we should do this or we're doing this and I sat down with him and I said how do you know you haven't been on a really good team in a while and he's like but we've all had whether we were kids or college or junior like we've been good players on good teams and it never really goes away you just lose your way a little bit or the you know things just aren't working right he's like but when it when you're on a good team, you know it. And I think the confidence comes right back and they seem, they don't seem cocky. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a couple of guys in their team who, who are pretty uh, self-confident at all times, but I think as a group, there's definitely an air of we're never out of a game. Uh, if we're up a couple goals, we're not going to stop working because we've been, we've been drilled to, to keep working and that's the only way it's going to work. And it's, it's again, another cliche. I think that was a big Jack Capuano one about you need all 20 guys well, Barry Trotz has said it a lot, too, and the guys in this team have said it a lot, too, but it seems to resonate a little bit more because this is not a terribly talented team compared to some others, and um, they've really embraced that uh, that team-first mentality, and you see it in the balanced scoring, uh, in guys 
stepping up each night that are maybe a little bit different and it's uh it's been pretty wild and i think they're they're all pretty uh they're all pretty happy with where they are yeah yeah we're, we're happy too <laughs> I, think yeah, least. Uh, I, I feel like i feel like islander fans and islander um and this is for the majority of islander fans not the vocal minority but uh are are kind of we're taking it all in stride i think that the and it's it reflects what the players and the team are doing there's this like stoic confidence i guess is the best way to put it uh on both sides of the glass like the players the coach coaching staff Lamarillo, as long as well as the fans all have this like weird vibe about them and obviously winning has a lot to do with it but i've never seen uh an islander a successful islander season where that was the kind of general attitude among the fan base as well i was gonna say that's a rare commodity for this franchise (laughs) i mean i think i think it all the abuse you guys have taken over a quarter century uh from you know the NASA from Nassau County politicians on down to bad owners and criminal owners and all the other garbage that we've gone over time and time again. I think last summer was such a whirlwind of the high of Lou coming in even higher of trots coming in right off of the cup and then sinking way back down with, with Tavares leaving that, uh, that it's, it's a little bit like a wounded animal. Like you're not, you're not going to come barreling out of the, uh, out of the cage to, to your new master <laughs> And be like, all right, everything's great. I've forgotten all about what's happened the last few years. I think it's it's tough. It's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of painful memories. And as Mike said, there's definitely the vocal minority that are either uh, super confident at all times or completely miserable and don't care what anything good is happening and are going to search through Twitter rabbit holes to find the last Leafs writer who uh, has denigrated the Islanders <laughs> franchise. But um, but I think it. I think it's. It's just. It, it's going to take a little time, and I. I think even you know the the sit down I had with Lou uh, a couple weeks ago, where even he, uh, in his in his venerable wisdom of of all his years in the league, expressed some genuine surprise that the team is where they are, and and I think, I think that surprise is it's kind of like a nice new feeling for everybody. Those guys, Lou and Barry, were prepared to kind of use this year to evaluate and feel out what they've got. I think the fans were excited but tempered because they knew without Tavares it was not going to be necessarily a very good season. There was a lot of there were a lot of question marks to start. So I think everybody's still in wait and see mode, which is probably good because you still do have to wait and see, especially with this month coming up that you guys are going to talk about after I'm gone. That this is a difficult month still, and things could change pretty drastically. Yeah, I feel like Trotz in general kind of gets it. And really, there's no other way to put it. But like, I think he understands not just what you're talking about, where like, you know, the team is kind of, you know, they've been through the ringer. They're kind of surprised to be there, but they're also pretty good. And I think he also kind of gets like what the Islanders in a very short time. It seems like he's really tapped into what the Islanders mean to the fan base, to the community and like what an Islanders team should kind of look like. And it just I mean, maybe it's just that I'm like a total uh, Stan, as the kids would say now, for Barry Trotz, but like you know, <laughs> I feel like he he really does get it, and the and the players have responded to him because he gets it, and I feel like wherever this guy goes, kids are good, people are gonna players are gonna respond to him. Like we just saw him walk into that that junior team locker room over the weekend and just like deliver a speech, and these kids were just completely like awestruck, and then he just left, and you know it's like oh my god, Barry Trotz was just here, 
Like, is that would that be I mean, accurate this, to say that he kind of gets it, or may or might just like making that up? This is a guy who went into an opposing team's locker room, <laughs> albeit the one that he just recently coached, and gave them a pep talk before he they played his own team this year <laughs> in Brooklyn. I've never seen anything like that at any level. It's it's insane. And everyone on the Caps was kind of like, oh yeah, that's him. Mm. And everyone on the Islanders was like, yeah, well, you know, he he led them to the Stanley Cup. That's cool. And even the fans. Yeah. Can you imagine if any other Islander coach did that? Oh, they'd, they'd be, they'd, their heads would be exploding, <laughs> right. and rightfully so. It's definitely weird, but, um, but he is a guy who is incredibly comfortable in his own skin. I mean, he doesn't, he plays the the lineup goalie game, but when you talk to him about strategy, he's he says we're going to do what we're going to do, and and you know, it, who, it's up to somebody else to try to stop us. There's no, <laughs> there's no magic formula, and I think that is. You know, from a reporter standpoint, it's incredibly refreshing to have those kinds of conversations with a guy who feels he can be relatively open and uh, and talk about what he thinks about players or his system or the team as a whole or such certain emotional situations of which there's already been quite a few. And I and like you said, I think he I think he gets he, you know he maybe projects that he doesn't, but he he did his homework on on what it means to be uh, an Islander fan and what it means to be part of this this franchise and. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's really written about it very much, but the fact that he passed Al Arbor on the coaching wins list while coaching the Islanders, I think it meant something to him. And, and, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely been around long enough where he knows almost everybody that's, that's coached or played in the last 30 years. And, and you'd be hard pressed to find anybody to say a bad word about the guy. And, and it's really, it's really genuine. I think that's, there's, there's not a, there's not a lot of phoniness to this guy. And, and, uh, I think that's what's resonated the most with his players. And I think with the fans as well. Yeah. This, this, this might be like a little cliche or whatever, but I do feel like also, um, and this has a lot to do with trots and Lamarillo, but the way that other teams now, when they, they play the Islanders are, uh, first of all, they're better. So, so that that's causing this, but they're paying, they're paying attention more to like smaller details in their game. And they're taking the Islanders a little more seriously, uh, knowing that it's not just going to be, you know, a seven, four game either way. And, you know, if, if we make, if we don't make mistakes, we're going to beat this team because we're better and better coached. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's something you see. I also, I noticed it's, it's something that I think really struck me during the, uh, during the all-star game as well, just the way that people were talking about Matt Barzal. I was like, they're, they're talking. I've never heard other players really talk about Islanders in the way that they were glowing about Barzal. When, when people would talk about Tavares during his uh, heyday, it was you know that he works hard and he's smart and he's obsessed with hockey. Whereas Barzal, they were like, basically, like, this guy is mesmerizing and he controls the game. And I feel like that you're seeing that in in the way other teams are now coming into the Coliseum or Barclays Center or wherever the Islanders are playing that night. And it's and it's like a, you can actually see like see it that these teams aren't are, it takes like them four or five minutes just to figure the islanders out like in the game in the game and by that time the islanders could be up one nothing or, or already have the ice tilted yeah i mean i think that's even if you don't i mean if you're whatever whatever tampa did you know when they came into barclays and were down three nothing i mean those you know a couple of those goals are pretty lucky but it's still it's still, you know, I think there's there's a there's a respect of a, of a trots coach team. I mean, I think, you know, I talked a little bit with with John Cooper before that game and kind of asked him, have you ever seen a team go from, you know, do such a, a legitimate 180 degree turn from being a team that barely played any defense and had no structure 
to a team that's all structure. And, uh, and he said, you know, it's, it's a hallmark of what Barry does. And, um, you know, he, he, he's obviously been the guy who's coached, who's had, uh, some pretty great teams, but I, you know, it's, it's a testament to coaching. And I think over a lot of years, um, maybe the Islanders try to convince people that, that coaching wasn't the most important thing. Not that Jack is a bad coach or that Doug may not, you know, may end up being a good coach in his next stop. Um, but I think I, I think there's a difference between trying to convince people with what you say and then just showing it. And I think right from, you know, maybe game eight or nine, uh, when they went on their little five game winning streak to kind of turn around the, the, the hiccups of the first few weeks, that was when they started to get it. I think those two Pittsburgh games, Barry has said that a couple of times, the one where they kind of ran Pittsburgh off the ice with some quality shooting percentage uh, and then beat them again, uh, you know, back home. Um, in a shootout that uh, that I think the players started to believe then too. And, and that spills over. You just, you know, you see a confident team across the ice and I think you have to take them a little bit more seriously instead of just waiting for them to make a mistake and you can capitalize pretty easily, which is, which has kind of been the way the Islanders have been six or seven out of the last eight or nine years. And uh, I, I just think it's, I, it, you know, it's, 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 again, I go back to that Kyle, quote like it's hard to it's hard to quantify but i think when you know you know and i think the players know and that means every every one of their opponents has to either knows going in or has to figure it out pretty quick i think having good goaltending also kind of goes a long way to <laughs> thinking that you're a pretty good team and that you know not that yarrow and grice oh well, grice was bad last year but like you know they had their moments but let's face it like none of those guys really instilled the same kind of confidence that robin leonard has so far this season at least you know maybe grice has this year too but so you wrote an article, a piece for the Athletic this week that uh, I'm sure everybody has already read. But if you, even if you have read it, you should read it again, uh, and you should rate it obviously on the bottom uh, if you have not already. But it was about it was a very concise and uh, comprehensive piece about uh, trade targets that the Islanders could potentially target, uh, but with the trade deadline coming up uh, at the end of February. Before we get to those possibilities, um, I want to ask what the the latest on Andrew Ladd is. We know he's been skating. He could potentially come back maybe towards the end of the month. Is that right? Because I, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is going to be one of those situations where he kind of ends up being the big deadline acquisition and everybody's going to be kind of disappointed by it. But he is kind of <laughs> I, I never thought we'd see him in an Islanders uniform again. And then the next day it's like, oh, he's skating. And I was like, what? Who? Oh, my God. I, I thought he would have been, you know, uh, sort of uh, ostracized to uh, lose Island by now. But I guess not. No, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's a knee injury. I haven't really seen him around too much, but, uh, but it was obviously a serious one, whatever, you know, he's missed 35 games or so. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, he's been skating, you never know. They've been gone for 10 days. Who knows what's happened since then? Uh, he's certainly not going anywhere in a trade. So, um, if he's, if he's trying to get back this year, then he'll be back. And I, you know, and I think, um, now that we're in year three of this deal, which we can all acknowledge is not a good deal, um, and will continue to not be a good deal because he's on the wrong side of 30 and now is coming off uh, a major injury that's under unrelated to the back problems right. that have plagued him the whole time and all the other things. Um, but I think he's still on this team. He can still be a contributor. And I, and yes, I, I it will be disappointing if, uh, that's the, you know, the, you get the, we're talking a lot of cliches tonight, but if that's the, like, that's as good as it, trading for someone is to get a guy like that back. No, it's not. Cause it's not as much fun, but, <laughs> um, 
but but yeah, I think you know I think the the rotating cast of of wings on that third line. It's been nice to see Michael Dalcall gain some confidence and and have a little bit of an impact. It was nicer to see Josh Hosang uh, have a little bit of an impact before he got sent down. Um, and even Anthony Beauvillier has played there and looked pretty good. So you know, it, it, but but I think Lad is the guy that that fits pretty well there. And I think for all of his uh, his lack of production over the two plus years he's been here. He's a pretty steady player. He's he he's like a he's like an older, less productive Josh Bailey. Like he's a guy who he knows where to be on the ice. Uh, he doesn't shy away from a lot of the physical stuff. Um, he can occasionally kick in a goal or two. Um, and I think he's of the three guys in that line with with Val Filippo and Leo Komarov. He's the most skilled guy of those three. They played okay early in the season. Like he looked. Yeah, okay and with I them. and I. You know, he played okay with Tanner Fritz last year too. I think I just think he's he's never going to be a, a fifty point guy again, and I think he's got to understand that and not be disappointed that he's not playing on a on a power on any power either power play units. Um, and I think everybody else has to understand that, like, yes, you're going to look at the contract. The contract is terrible. We've got you got to accept it. I mean, it's you know you don't you don't rank the, the you don't play on the first line because you make the most money. You, play where you play and if if he can fit in as a 12 or 13 minute a night guy and score a couple of goals occasionally and hit some people and give somebody a face wash and and play sound defensively he's going to play um so i think that would be a helpful guy to have back in in lieu of that uh and maybe lou does you know and not not in lieu like lou lamarillo <laughs> but in place of that um I imagine that that Lou is not the kind of person to say uh, we're going to get this guy back, and that's like adding somebody. He likes to add people. I don't know if he's going to add any big names and and shoot for the moon, but he's going to add something because I don't. I think even the most optimistic GM would look at this team and see that they're you know they're playing with house money right now, being in first place and and you know headed towards a, a playoff spot and maybe even winning a round or two. You don't say, well, we'll roll the dice with the same group. They've been extremely lucky as far as health goes. They've been extremely lucky as far as shooting goes. Uh, guys are shooting 25, 20% uh, in that bottom six. So I think you have to add You have to add people that know how to put the puck in the net. You have to add people that you know can fit into what, what Trotz is, is selling. And like I said, I don't know if that's going to be Matt Duchesne or Artemi Panarin. Probably not because they don't have a ton of assets to give up for those guys. But but I think there there are lots of people that are available uh, even now, three weeks ahead of the trade deadline, who can help them. Uh, the, the, the the market I think is in a. I guess it's been a, it's like buyers market. I guess maybe for the first or I won't even say it's heavily slanted towards buyers, but for the first time in years, I feel like because there's actually there's been a little bit of separation earlier in the standings than there usually is, especially in the East. Uh, there are definitely a couple people on that list uh, in that article that you mentioned or that you wrote that that I had had been thinking of uh, for a couple of weeks. And I think the most intriguing the two most intriguing names to me are are Nyquist and Silverberg, because I think what they both are is they both score and they also bring something that I, the Islanders really don't like Nyquist, especially. I think they don't they, they both have a, a peculiar set of skills and the Islanders don't have that. It'd be like acquiring Michael Grabner. You're getting a player who's very, you know, he's very good at something that you don't have that basically three players in the league have. And I think those two guys are are, are crafty and, and can create 
uh, with ski, with either speed or vision that the Islanders, uh, they just frankly don't have. And, and, you know, Andrew Ladd obviously doesn't have either. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I just think, I think those are like, th- those are the kind of like last year we saw, it didn't really work out for the Knights, but when they went and they, uh, I think it was a Thomas Tatar yeah, or something. Right. Yeah. Thomas Tatar, like that kind of player who, who sure you, he's a wild card. He might not, you know, work out, but he gives you just like a little bit of like extra funk to your lineup. And I think that's maybe what the Islanders would, would need and, and would kind of go a long way and, and could, is relatively cheap because you're not acquiring someone who is a five tool player. Well, One thing I like that Art mentioned was that Detroit is in a desperate need to get rid of salary. They, they're, they're right up against the salary cap and they would probably take literally anything that Lou Lamarillo offered them just to get somebody off of their books because they, I mean, they have replaced the Flyers as that sort of definitive cap hell team right now. And getting rid of somebody like Nyquist, who's making a good amount of money, would, would actually help them out a lot. You know, you'd almost be doing them more of a favor than they'd be doing you by giving you the guy. Yeah, and, and I, like Mike said, I, you know, Nyquist definitely gives them something. You know, if you were a right shooting guy, he does play right wing, but he's a lefty. Uh, if he was a right handed shot, I think it would be perfect. And I think if his skill set were on Silverberg's body and Silverberg's right-handed shooting, <laughs> that would, that would absolutely be the guy that you target. I think Silverberg's not quite as effective as Nyquist is. And I think that the, the other appealing thing about both those guys is they played, uh, they played on veteran teams. So I think they know how to handle themselves in a veteran room. Um, they're not, they're not wild cards or anything like that in terms of personality. And they played on teams that, that can play kind of a slow, heavy game that the Islanders play, you know, Detroit, Certainly, uh, you know, he's a guy who probably knows Val Philpula well from the, the little bit of overlap they had in Detroit. And, um, you know, I think I think Detroit, when Nyquist was on good Detroit teams, which I don't think was that long a stretch of time, but was certainly had for a little while. Uh, you know, they had some super flashy guys, but they played, uh, you know, they played a very Western conference style of, of game and with their big defensemen. And I think Anaheim certainly being in the Western conference and being a much older team, uh, very similar. So I don't think those guys would have a lot of trouble adjusting to the way the honors play. Um, having said that, you know, I, I wonder we had really, you know, we saw the the Jake Muzzin trade to Toronto, which which was a pretty decent cost. I think it's been debated uh, ad nauseum online about how much the Leafs really gave up. But but and I've certainly debated with some people in the comments section of that of that article that I wrote about what the equivalent uh, cost would be for the Islanders, and it's just different. The Islanders don't have as deep a prospect pool as the Leafs do, so the Leafs can give up their two of their five best prospects, but not their one or two. And it seems like it's okay because they have guys that are coming up through their system because they've been terrible for so long. Um, the Islanders don't have that. Uh, their high-end guys are already in the NHL. Their high-end guys on the prospect list are, are a longer way away. Um, and I don't think their middling guys, the ones that are in Bridgeport now, are quite as appealing to uh, to other teams when you have a first-round pick and then have to throw in a couple prospects. So uh, I think th- that kind of points, points the way to... to acquiring rentals as well and i'm curious to see when the first rental domino falls what the cost is going to be whether it's going to be like what the rangers got for michael grabner last year a second and a you know b b minus level prospect or whether it's going to be what every every national reporter seems to be talking about with guys like michael furland or kevin hayes where they're like even as it's a rental we're getting a first round pick and we're getting a prospect which is what teams 
want out there now, but then as we get closer to the deadline, realize they're not getting it and have to settle for something less. So, um, I, you know, I don't know how Lou feels about his team, whether he feels like he needs to strike first or whether he wants to wait and see what the, what the, uh, market is going to look like. I think we all know what Garth Snow would have done and has done, which is be a little too patient at this time of year. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, you know, Lou, when you, you know what is that he's done something when it's done and it's announced, you'd never really know much before. So I'm curious <laughs> to see which way it's going to go. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was fun, too, because I, I hadn't really thought about it until you put it in the article that, yeah, they don't have those sort of mid range prospects to trade. And then the other problem is they have a first round pick. Uh, they don't have a third or a fourth and they might not have a second, depending on which pick Calgary gives them to complete the Travis Hamannick deal with, whether it's this year's second round pick or 2020 second round pick. So yeah, like that's, that's what I'm kind of worried about. And I don't think that, you know, it wasn't the article that you wrote was totally fine. I just, I'm not sure that they, that they're going to, what they can do given that they don't really have that much to give up for these sort of mid range rentals. But then it makes me wonder, like, I, I wonder if Lou might have some kind of bigger splash in mind. Like, okay, so instead of getting this as rental guy who's going to be UFA in two months, what if they went for somebody with term? Is that something that you think that they would be interested in? And then, like, that would move, like, a like a bigger piece or a bigger prospect for that? Or do you kind of see them leaning more towards the rental market and, you know, trying to see what they can get for what they have? You know, I think anything's possible. <laughs> uh, you know, I hate, to, I hate to give such a vague no, answer. No. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I look at their first, you know, the, I, I assume that Lou – the one thing that he has carried over from his days in Toronto and his longer days in Jersey is that um, he's never, he's hardly ever been a guy who's picked very high in the draft and it doesn't <laughs> look like he, the Islanders are going to pick very high in the draft this year. So I think he, he sees, you know, a, a guy who's playing in the NHL right now who maybe either has a year or two left on his deal or is the sort of rental that can put them over the top as that's more, way more valuable to me than a guy we pick 22nd or 23rd who may not pan out. You can't do that too often, and I think that was the, the pitfall that he fell into in Jersey, yeah, is that sure. if you keep, <laughs> keep doing that over and over again, then you've got nothing when things finally hit the fan. Mm. Um, but I think in this case, especially coming off the four picks in the first 45 uh, from last draft, when he couldn't find any good deals with those picks uh, at the draft in June, I imagine that he, being the guy that he is, he immediately fast forwarded to if we play well this year or if we're close or if we're this and I have a deal for a guy who can help us this year and down the road and I have to give up my first round pick. Well, I just had two way better first round picks that we had last year in arguably a better draft. Right. Uh, you know, this year's draft, I think, is projects to be pretty good. Uh, obviously, you know, at the very, very top, it's probably a little bit better with Jack Hughes uh, and Capo Caco, which is one of my favorite all time names. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I think further down it, it, it dries up a little bit. And if you're going to, you know, say we gotta, we gotta rebuild the prospect pool. That's, that's legitimate because it's not very deep. But I think also if, if you get, can get through without trading any of those four guys that you picked early in the draft last year, then that counts as essentially having two full drafts at the top. Um, yeah. so I think that that makes this one a little bit more expendable. And, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine that he'd want to give it up. For uh, for anyone who's uh, an expiring contract, but I think, you know, if you look at uh, Tyler Toffoli, who was a guy I mentioned from out in L.A., and they certainly seem like they're ready to burn it down to the ground out there. Um, you know, if you think 
even bigger, it would certainly take a lot more than a first-round pick and a couple of prospects to get Vladimir Tarasenko if the Blues are so inclined, which I'm not convinced of. Mm. But if that were the guy, you'd say, yeah, I'm giving you my first-round pick and I'll give you some other stuff too. So yeah, I think there's I think there's guys available there, and I think in the next week or two, if you're looking to make that kind of deal, um, there may be you know the logjam that's around the playoff cut line in the West will probably start to separate itself a little bit, and maybe you'll get teams that think that they're not sellers who will realize that they should be. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think and just another interesting part of this deadline is that there are a couple good fits for the Islanders on teams that. Basically, they wouldn't be caught dead trading with, and you'd be pissed if it was the other way around, and they traded with like the Rangers, the Blue Jackets, mm-hmm. the Hurricanes. These are all teams in their division. All uh, aside from the Rangers, the other two—I mean, the Hurricanes, maybe not so much—but they're still "quote unquote" in the mix for a playoff spot. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if there's some weird shenanigans going on. <laughs> like I don't—I wouldn't necessarily say it'll be to the to the extent of what the Sharks and the Senators and the Panthers, you know, what happened with the. Mike Hoffman thing. Uh, but, you know, like I think about Kevin Hayes, for example, uh, I think he would be a really good fit for the Islanders. Unfortunately, I don't think the Rangers would be caught dead training him to the <laughs> Islanders. Yeah. And, uh, and almost Furlan, too. Like, I don't think that the Hurricanes would be thrilled to, to trade him to a team in their division at the deadline when they're only, you know, six points out. So uh, it's just it's just like a very strange uh, trading market this year. And maybe it's just because the Islanders haven't really been buyers in a while that I feel this way. But uh, it's like I there's I'm and Lou definitely doesn't help the fact that he you know nobody knows except for incarcerated Bob what he's going to do. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the, uh, I just don't I like I just have no clue and I don't think anyone really does you know what's going to happen with the Islanders and I think they hold a lot more chips than they they're used to and and that the the uh, the the league. As, as a whole was ready for them too because they're kind of a bit of a wild card just fact that they're in this party yeah yeah and i think as far as the rangers are concerned i think the rangers showed last year that they're going to get the return that they want to get and they don't care who, who they go to and i think um you know that's that's the way the rangers operate i think they do a, they do things with uh with a little bit of hubris which is not the way that a lot of other teams would operate i think of the islanders and certainly they have been in that scenario often over the last couple of years, you know, last couple of decades where they've been sellers and determined sellers and uh, probably didn't pursue trades with the Rangers who were better than them because, the, because of the optics. Um, I don't think the Rangers care about that. So, um, you know, Hayes, Hayes, I think is going to end up being a little too rich for, for them and, and probably will get, they'll get better offers out West for him. Um, but a guy like Matt Zuccarello, you know, if, if the cost is, is a mid-round pick and a middling prospect because Zuccarello's got some injury issues. Uh, who knows, you know, how badly he wants to go to, you know, way out west, Winnipeg, wherever. He's a guy who doesn't, who, who I think. That would crack me up. <laughs> well, yeah, he's not a popular guy for sure. Yeah. I think that's that's an interesting part of it. But I think, I think Lou, with you know, I think that's where Lou having no history with the Islanders and Barry having no history with the Islanders helps them because they can make these decisions uh, you know they uh, they don't nobody takes the fans into account sorry to say everybody but um but i think there's no there's not enough there haven't been around these fans long enough or around the people on the island long enough to say like oh yeah maybe we shouldn't do that i think they're they're looking to make their team as good as they can make it and uh if matt zuccarello is the guy or even like as a depth guy i mentioned if adam mcquade who's you know a 
a fantastic guy and would be a very good seven eight guy to have as insurance for the, for a playoff run on D. If that's the guy you end up getting, um, who cares where he came from? It's it's a good guy to have. So I would hope and I assume that that Lou does not care about that. And I certainly believe the Rangers don't care about that. So maybe this is the year finally that we see an Islander Ranger deadline deal that helps both teams and uh, and it, probably the way the Islander fans want it, which is helps the Islanders get to the playoffs and get deep in the playoffs. I think the problem has always been, I mean, for at least for me, it's always been like, all right, yeah, you make a trade with the Rangers and then you trade him a first round pick. And then that first round pick becomes some kind of superstar. That's going to just kill you for a while. But then again, uh, both Anthony Beauvillier and Josh Hosang were from Rangers draft picks. So you never know. It could work out either way. <laughs> um, just a couple more. Um, I'm just curious because Mike and I do a lot of tweaking of uh, or maybe more so, depending on uh, your your feelings uh, of your athletic colleagues and a lot of your your friends and, and uh, coworkers in the media, uh, I'm just kind of curious as to the sense you get from them about what the Islanders are. Like, do they think this is kind of like a fluke and this is going to all fall apart? I'm sure they're sick of Islanders fans yelling at them in the comments of everything they write and on Twitter and all that stuff. But like, I'm just kind of curious as to like what they what they might think and, and ha- whether they think this team is just going to go away or this is like a real thing that they should be paying attention to. I think, I think the game in Toronto opened a lot of people's eyes as far as national media and, and my colleagues up to the North of which there are many. Um, <laughs> I think that was the game where people were, you know, I was, uh, I was holed up with a one week old at the time. <laughs> so I wasn't paying closest attention, but I did watch the game and I, you know, I've seen, I had seen a lot of the, you know, all the under games at that point. So that game didn't completely take me by surprise. I was surprised at how completely they dominated it and how pretty much how quickly uh, Tavares' teammates laid down in that game, um, (laughs) which I would be very upset about if I were him, by the way. (laughs) Um, But just the way, you know, even talking to the guys when I got back, uh, talking to Josh Hosang in particular, who's a Toronto native, who just said like that for me is like that my buddies were telling me like that was the game where I was like, Oh yeah. Like these guys are legit. Like they made a team that like has been steamrolling everybody just slink away. Like the Leafs didn't, like, you know, we've all seen plenty of games where the Islanders have been up three or four goals midway through and been like, yeah, this one ain't over. But I think that night, not only did the Leafs players believe it, but everybody in that building and everybody watching said like, this game is over after Brazo completed the hat trick and it was four nothing. Like, Leafs got nothing that night and and they generated nothing and they gave up because they they it was too hard and uh, and I think that for a lot of the national media um, of which many Islanders fans online seek approval um, <laughs> I think that was the that was the turning point for them so I think um, I think I think people are are convinced maybe is the wrong word because like you said it's still we still got what 33 right. games left but but certainly uh, eyes opened and and impressed and I think you know, the, the easy way to think of it is, well, they brought in this general manager who's got an incredible pedigree and they brought in this coach who's got this incredible pedigree. Um, but these were all the same people who went after they brought in that general manager, that coach, were perfectly willing to say like, yeah, there's no why would John Tavares stay on the island? Like he was whatever toiling away was the way that one of the Canadian writers put it on Twitter. Um, and then the guys that Lou brought in uh, after Tavares left Komarov trading for Matt Martin, Leonard, Philpola, uh, left a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, 
and I think it was sort of like a haha Islanders kind of situation all over again. At least it started to be because that's the default setting for a lot of <laughs> national, <laughs> lot of na- a lot of national media, especially in Canada, who don't pay the closest attention. So I think, I think that uh, maybe even with the good record coming into that game, that was the one that that uh, that flipped the switch for a lot of people. And I think, you know, the 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 game at the end of the month at the Coliseum when Tavares comes in is going to be there's going to be a lot of attention paid to that. And my hope is that uh, both teams are still kind of where they are right now and will be past the trade deadline and maybe they'll be incorporating some new guys in because um, it's going to be a gong show. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of people, a lot of hockey media will point to whatever craziness the Islanders fans bring to that game that night and say, look at these, you know, rubes, they don't deserve to have a good team, whatever they're going to say. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's just, narrative to me it's you know i think there's i think there's so much building up from last summer to to go towards that night it's going to be a little over the top but uh but not necessarily unearned um (laughs) and i'm sure john's a big boy he'll be able to handle it he knows what's coming but i think the fact that the team will be good uh in all you know at the end of the month and and after the trade deadline and headed towards the playoffs is uh hopefully the thing that people will take away the most instead of the uh, JT sucks yeah. chance, which I'm sure will start in the parking lot very early before that game. <laughs> I'm I'm concerned about what's going to come flying out of the stands. That's what I'm I'm really afraid yeah. of. It's... Well, speaking of Brendan Witt, you know that that game against the Sabers when they got robbed, the NHL stole a, a, a playoff game from them when Witt scored that goal and beers beer bottles flew on the uh, on the ice very quickly after that. But I, I actually I actually think uh, the thing that pisses Islander fans off more than maybe it is seeking approval, but I. And Dan, this is what you know. I think gets Dan and my goat more than anything is that instead of going the, like digging a little deeper, these you know high level national media writers, up especially in Canada, um, don't just pull back the onion just a little bit further and to see, oh no, that's why they're upset about this part of it. Like I think Travis on Twitter put uh, put like a very nice broken down argument uh, or response to something that uh, Justin Bourne wrote. And and it was just like very well thought out. I was like, yes. It's like if, if you would just read what some of, you know, not the people that are screaming and cursing James Myrtle out on Twitter, but the people who are like, yeah, no, 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 this is why. Like here's like three things that are very easy to digest and understand. This is why we're upset about what happened. It has nothing to do with the fact that he, you know, this guy went home or for – you know, there are other instances with other players or, or narratives or whatever. So I think that's what irks Islander fans more. And then it literally takes the Islanders to become the quote unquote best story of the season for people to pay attention. And then maybe, maybe dig into the, to these, uh, to the reasons or, you know, to pay a little bit more attention to, to the team. And, and I get that's part of the job and stuff, but I think that's more what's pissed off people. And I think also it's, it's going to add like fuel to the fire that's coming on, on February, what is it, 28th or 27th, whatever the, the game is. And I don't think, I don't think like guys like Myrtle or, or LeBron or people in Toronto are, are unaware that they're doing that. Like, I don't think that they're, you know, they're, they're naive enough to, to, to know, oh, I'll piss these guys off a little more because that night's going to be great. It's going to be easy story fodder and I can easily, you know, make it a little bit better for myself. And, uh, that's why I hope to not see them that night. <laughs> well, I will say this, uh, you know, as someone and you guys have experienced it, too, as someone who's been cursed out on Twitter plenty of times, when you have it happen so often, 
and even if it's just a few voices that are the loudest and the most obnoxious, you don't really care to look past that. You just you just give up. And I get it because you've got guys like James uh, and other Toronto writers have their own crazy fans to deal with. Um, so that part I understand where you just don't want to be bothered and you think that that's representative of the whole fan base, which I think we all know it's definitely not. Twi- you know, Twitter Twitter is just the smallest, loudest segment of every <laughs> of every fan base. <laughs> It's just that the unfortunate part for years past is that there haven't been a lot of other Islander fans making themselves known. But I think, um, you know, as far as the, the, the last point goes, you know, I, whatever we, we work on clicks and subscriptions and views and video, you know, all that stuff. I, it, it definitely, uh, it definitely feeds the excitement when, uh, when you can take a little bit of a shot at another fan base, that's not really connected to the team or teams that you cover um and also it's just human nature to not pay the closest attention you're right i think i think it's i've gone into explaining a couple of times in private messages or in public or whatever to some of my colleagues and other friends in the media about what the real deal is and you know sometimes it's hard to pay attention um it's not a it's not a huge excuse and i understand that that for me the islanders are the most important the only thing that professionally that i care about um and so the fans, you know, I, I listen to the fans and I think even without listening to them, I think it's was pretty obvious how how things were going to go on July one. And I, and I think um, even John, uh, when he had a chance to think about it after the Players Tribune thing, after the initial shock wore off, I think even he understands that uh, his decision was going to piss some people off. Um, and maybe the way that he went about it was going to piss some people off, even though it was an agonizing decision for him. So, I, you know, it's weird to me that people want to co-opt that. And, and as I've said it on Twitter and I've written it, like, I don't understand who, why writers or other fans of other teams tell Islander fans what how they should feel or why didn't you get upset at your GM or why didn't you get upset at your owners? And it's just like, it's not an either or situation. It's the <laughs> whole no. thing. We, the we're, whole thing. Yeah, we're, we're plenty upset yeah. at the <laughs> right. There's a lot to go around. I, I think there's a, yeah, there's a, there was a lot to go around and some of it, fell on Tavares and like I said he's a big boy and he can handle it and I'm sure um, that it will be initially very vitriolic and I hope that when they you know I'm not certain that they'll have there'll be a, a video but I'm pretty sure there will be I hope when they show it that people are respectful and then you can go back to booing the crap out of him but <laughs> but he was the most important guy to 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 come through here in a long long time and the way he went out was not good at all uh, and it didn't help the organization at all. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I think I, I, I that's really my hope is that when the team is good enough to to counteract whatever, you know, li- whatever pocket, and it's not even going to be pockets. I understand they're going to they're going to boo them and, and maybe they'll boo them forever. And it'll be kind of an, uh, an entertaining thing to, to, you know, as I as I yeah, mentioned, I, I think I, 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 I there's mentioned... anything wrong with that. Right. Like, right. That, that's what this is what it's all about. I think that's and I, and I, and people are kind of pre- missing that point. Right. It's a credit to the organ. You know, I mentioned this. I forget where I mentioned it somewhere in Toronto. I said, these are fans that used to boo Christian Ehrhoff because because Garth (laughs) traded for his rights. And he said, no, I'm not going to sign like they were booing a guy who stunk like they were lucky that he didn't sign. But we so that's a credit. People booed Ryan Smith. That's that's it. You know. Yeah. And he played. He was totally fine for an Islander for two months. And then he was like, "Ah, I'm going to leave. And people booed him for 10 years. (laughs) And the other end of the spectrum, I've been stumping to get uh, Adam Henrique and Alec Martinez mm. tribute videos for when they come to town every time. <laughs> so like we, we, 
we are a fan base that like I would like I, I think maybe it was Colby Armstrong, but when he 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 did something when he was on the Penguins when they were really bad. I remember going to the next game and he wasn't on the he was on the Thrashers maybe. Yeah. And I remember at the next game he played the Islanders, just people were booing and me and my buddy Brendan were like, "Why? What? Oh, it's Colby <laughs> Armstrong." I had no idea he was on even on the Thrashers. Yeah. So like yeah, nobody. It's, said, it's, no, you were the guys, the only two guys in the history of the world who said, "Oh, that's Kobe Armstrong." <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, a it's a very long winded way of saying he's going to get booed. They're going to yell stuff, and I when they play the video, I hope people cheer for a minute and acknowledge him, and then go back to booing him. And I think the Toronto I, fan, I'm going to respectfully not will, do that. <laughs> Okay. The Toronto media will will move on because by then the trade deadline will have passed and everybody will have other stuff to focus on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's actually going to be kind of like hockey Armageddon for them because – so it's the deadline. It's that Wednesday, right? Deadline I think is is uh, is like three days before. Right. So, yeah, it's just – it's going to be a, a really interesting week. Yes. No, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Art, we – I said we were going to take you up for about 20 minutes and it's been about 45 now. So – I think uh, you have gone, as always, above and beyond, and we really appreciate uh, you coming on with us. Uh, what can we look forward to uh, in the Athletic this week? Obviously, the Islanders actually play a game, surprise, surprise, uh, in a couple of days, but they return to practice tomorrow. And uh, what uh, what can we look forward to on the horizon? Uh, I've got a, a story uh, about Casey Sezikis and his, uh, his rather productive first half. He was one of those guys that I was talking about who's shooting well and, uh, and playing well. Um, and uh, that'll be coming up soon. And then I think got to see what happens with the next couple of games. And maybe there'll be a trade or two uh, on the horizon. And, you know, I, I kind of play it by ear. I think uh, next week uh, I might be uh, visiting with uh, one of their one of the Islanders recent draft picks who's uh, currently playing in, in the amateur ranks. So uh, got to got to tune in, yeah. tune in, subscribe, check it out. And uh, yeah, we've got lots of stuff coming. Yes. That's great. And there's a promotion going on now, too. Right. I saw you. Tweet a little earlier. Today. That's right. Forty percent off for the uh, from now until the actual trade deadline. Oh. So hopefully the Islanders Lou holds all his cards to the very end, so that everybody <laughs> comes in to subscribe and and pays their money. And no, I'm kidding. I I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but it's uh, it's worth it at any time anyone wants to sign up. Yes, not just for me, not just for me. Lots of other good writers. You can chirp James Myrtle in the comments <laughs> of the Leafs articles if you want. Whatever you want to do. I, I would say that, that that's a good deal to get because every single day there's another article on our Temi Panarin. So if you want to follow the trials and tribulations of his time in Columbus, an athletic subscription is, absolute necess- is absolutely necessary. Uh, so you should do that right away. But it's great. And, and I mean, the, the, the work there by, by you especially, but by a lot of your colleagues is, is phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, get on that right away. Uh, but thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again probably sometime after the trade deadline, after everything shakes out. And uh, we'll see where the Islanders are at. Awesome. Thanks right. a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. So long, Take Arthur. All right. Well, that was that was absolutely awesome. Every 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 word. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a great time. Yeah, it's a great time. And and uh, you know, I I I do uh, I do think uh, his his wishes of Islander fans, if there is a tribute video, to not mess that up. Uh, are uh, they're going to fall on deaf ears? Yeah, uh, and my mine especially because <laughs> I, I I actually can't wait to to mess mess around during that video. I I will say that there's going to be. A, a lot of cheers for John Tavares in that game because there are people, and again, we, we talk about Twitter being kind of like, 
you know, a very small slice of the fan base and not very representative. But, you know, there are people out there that are like, hey, man, nine great years. You did everything you could. Thanks so much. You earned the right to leave. You did what you wanted to do. You're going home. Good for you. You know, via con Dios, like that kind of thing. And, and there will be cheers for him. I absolutely know it. There's also probably going to be sleepwear flying out of the stands. And I'm not encouraging this. I'm not giving, <laughs> trying to get anybody, anybody ideas. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if some pajamas, bed sheets, bathrobes, nightcaps, or any other kind of, you know, nocturnal paraphernalia that just came out wrong. But you know what I mean? Uh, comes flying out of the stands <laughs> at Nassau Coliseum. Uh, please don't do that. Don't seriously, but I could see it happening. I mean, this is the first year. And I think Philadelphia fans are kind of like their team is just beating them to death. Like they just don't care anymore, which is kind of odd for Flyers fans. But normally like Philly's good for like one game where just crap just comes flying out of the stands. Uh, that probably hasn't happened this year. Uh, so I guess, you know, that game at Nassau Coliseum on the 28th is probably as good a time as any to, to take up the mantle. Um, February, February 25th, by the way, is the trade deadline. That's that's the Monday before that game. I actually thought that trade deadline was on the 28th, so I'm glad you brought it up because it is actually the 25th. So uh, yeah, that would that would, they probably moved it there. Like we we were not going to be able to handle it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but let's talk about the month of February for the Islanders because it's kind of a big one. Um, they have been off for the last 10 days. Uh, with the All-Star break and then their bye. We're going we're gonna to finish talking about the All-Star break because we want to end on a positive note for sure. Uh, today is Wednesday. You're probably listening to this on, on a Thursday. If you're listening to this in your commute and it's freezing and it's snowy and it's cold, good luck to you. I hope you get where you're going. Um, but Friday, the Islanders are back in action at the Coliseum um, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then the next day, again, 7 o'clock against the LA Kings, also at home uh, for them. So, that's kind of a tough one. I mean, the Kings aren't what they were, but they're still pretty good. But, I mean, to come back after a 10-day break against the Lightning is a really, really rough stretch, especially since the Lightning are playing actually right now. They have not had that that bye week. So that could either help or hurt them. Um, but that's just really the tip of the iceberg, man. They got a lot of hard games. They got the Bruins next Tuesday uh, and then the Devils, uh, which, I mean, no offense to the New Jersey Devils, but that's probably the easiest game they have on paper all month. Uh, cause they're the one team that's really kind of out of it at this point. Um, then that Saturday they have matinees against Colorado and Minnesota back to back. Then they're on the road for, but to Buffalo and Columbus and that game against the, the blue jackets is going to be a huge one. I mean, the blue jackets are probably going to be still in the mix for the top of the Metro. Uh, then they play the Oilers at home. Uh, you know, again, hopefully you catch a Western Canadian team at home, but then they go on their big road trip, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, that final weekend until they come back and then play the Flames, who are again are one of the best teams in the league. So they got they got to play the Flames twice in the span of a week, which is less than a week actually, which is a really really tough schedule. And then of course the 28th against the Leafs, where it's going to be a madhouse. So um, that's 14 really really tough games in 28 days, and you know they've been really good to this point in the season, but this is going to be a really really tough tough road to hoe. And as good as they've been, and as positive as things have been. If you're a little bit concerned, I would agree with you. <laughs> and I am also as concerned. Yeah, I I think the the thing to remember here is that first of all, like you 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 had a really good point last last week where you said I think it was like 20 and 13 or something that that gets the Islanders to above 100 points and just having that in the back of your mind I think is going to help you kind of take a deep breath. And the other thing is like we in this in the four, this is four seasons of the show. I think um, 
in in the October and November episodes of years where they aren't successful, we always talk about the fact that two, you know, blowing these games in November, those two points would count the same as the ones that you get in February and March. And for the first time in years, the Islanders got those points in <laughs> October and Feb- and, and November. <laughs> and and so you you just you're where um what we're I think the Islanders are seven points into the playoffs. Like they're they're seven points ahead of the Sabers who who are the the first team out. Uh, so there is first of all yes, there's a really daunting stretch coming their way. Uh, but the Islanders now are in the point where the the part of this process of becoming a good team where if they blow it, it is a really, really horrible thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, there's no one to blame but themselves because there's like, if, if you looked at this, if you looked at this from the Islanders being on the outside and being that team chasing and saying, Oh, you know, that they're seven points ahead. It's going to be really hard to, to catch that team with this much time left. So the Islanders like are, they're in such a good position that obviously is, is a really daunting test, but just coming out of this break, relatively strong will go with such a long way in just quelling those fears that Islander fans will naturally have because we've been through a lot worse than a team blowing a seven point cushion and not making the playoffs. So we've seen, we've seen it all and we just don't want to see it again, you know? So I think that's where we're coming from. But I, I mean, it's a, I've, I was walking to the train yesterday thinking like how much I just, I was thinking about trots and the Islanders and just like thinking about how much I miss them. And and I started to like get a little bit of chills, like thinking about that, the Islanders have really big games in February coming up for the first time in a while. They're happening at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. Like this is, it's, I, I just can't wait now. Like I, I, I almost, I want, I'm, I'm happy they're not playing tomorrow, which was Thursday for, and it's Friday. So we've had this like little break. It's nice. Like to kind of like, I'm gearing myself up, like, you know, collecting my, my own breath. And I'm, I just like, I'm just, I'm so excited to see how this thing, this thing pans out because like, look at where we are. You know, I hadn't really thought about it that way where, and the Islanders have done this this year, so this is all just an example. But you know, you lose a game in October to the Panthers, or or a game that maybe you you should have won but you didn't, and then eventually it comes back to bite you. Well, the Islanders won the majority of those games, so you know if you turn around this this month and you know maybe you drop drop one of these or drop a couple of these, it might not end up being the end of the world. Um, so uh, I just checked the the scoreboard right now. the The Penguins are up on the Lightning four nothing at this point. Uh, so let's assume that the Penguins go go on and win that game. The Islanders will still be three points ahead of them with a game in hand. Um, so now we start talking about positioning and and you know staying ahead of these guys' games in hand. If they can just come out of this with a winning record still and still be in the mix for that that top three in the Metro, um, I think that that would be a huge get. And I know that's probably setting the bar kind of low. Um, but that would, like you said, I mean, this hasn't happened in a long, long time. And I think that's, that's key. And I think, you know, taking what Art said, the players understand this and they understand, you know, they have guys at the helm now who have been through this kind of stuff and they, they know what it's like to be in a race like this and to need these games and to not be like, well, you know, Oh, this is tough. We'll get him next time. Like, no, you got to win today. I mean, Barry Trotz said in the game against Winnipeg, were you proud of your team hanging in there against one of the best teams in the league? And he was like, they're not paid to hang in. They're paid to win. And so if you take that that philosophy and bring it here, they're paid to win. And that means winning games in February with the season, maybe not on the line, but you know, now is the time when you need to to solidify your position and you can't you can't let slip that far. And this is the kind of game where like a Barry Trotz 
knows you need to win them. So, yeah, going into Buffalo and Columbus in the middle of February is going to be rough for a lot of reasons. Going out to Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver at the end of February, it's going to be tough for a lot of reasons. But those are games you got to win. You got to go into, you know, if of those three games in particular, you got to win two of them. Like that's just how it how it's going to be. And if you drop the first one in Calgary, okay, fine. You got to win in Edmonton the next night. And I think generally they've done a good job of doing that. Um, it's actually funny because I looked ahead to March, and March is an even scarier month than February. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But um, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see that how they they respond after this 10 days off, after the first half they've had, after uh, Matt Barzell being at the All-Star game and being sort of the toast of the town, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit. We'll, we'll see where they end up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited yeah, that those those games against the Sabres and the, the Blue Jackets are four-point games. So like, that's the last time the Islanders had a four-point game, you know, this late in the season was, you know, three years ago. So it's uh, it's it's going to be awesome just just to be in the spot and to, to do it. I think that they're also um, stability-wise are in a uh, better better spot than than teams like uh, Columbus, obviously, <laughs> uh, Carolina, who is much further down, like but in the division, but same way, Sa- the Sabers too. Like these are teams like the Sabers have a big decision with Jeff Skinner, the Blue Jackets have a big decision coming with Panarin. Michael Furlan to get traded. So things there, there's the, this kind of landscape we're looking at now. The Penguins are trying or want to trade Derek Broussard. There's this things that are going to shift around even more. And the Islanders aren't in any don't have like any kind of cloud like that hanging over. The only thing that we're anticipating is the Islanders to add good players to their team, which they are short of, <laughs> which is nice. So uh, we're in, they're in a great spot. And like I said, like now that they the, all the chips, they have all these chips sitting in front of them at the poker table. They just need to do everything they can just to not blow it. <laughs> and uh, luckily they have a guy at the helm who is very good at not blowing it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, also good at not blowing it, uh, Matt Barzell. Uh, so let, let's finish talking about him. He uh, he was the Islanders' lone representative at the All-Star Game this weekend. Um, by the way, thank you to whoever was in the comments that was like, isn't the All-Star Game Saturday night? And the skills competition Friday because I t- the, I did that whole show last week totally assuming that the All Star game was on Sunday as it had been forever but the All Star game was actually on Saturday so thank you because I would have totally missed it and I watched it and I'm glad I did because Matt Barzell was essentially the toast of the town uh, the Metro Division beat the Central Division ten five in the final uh, Barzell along with Sidney Crosby and Crystal Tang basically destroyed everything that was in front of them Crosby had five points. Barzell had five points. Latang had a bunch of points. Of course, Crosby won the MVP because, you know, he's Sidney Crosby. Uh, when I found out he and Barzell had the same amount of points in that game, I was really pulling for Barzell to, like, go coast to coast and score an unassisted goal or something to give him the extra points so that they would have to give him the MVP trophy, but it didn't happen that way. But, uh, you know, regardless of the MVP trophy, he put on a show for the world Crosby and Latang couldn't stop talking about how great he was and how he kind of like, you know, distributed the puck and was all over them and, and made things easier for them. And uh, he got a lot of love from NBC, which I was totally shocked. I didn't think that, you know, they really cared. Like you said, I mean, with Tavares, it was always about how professional he was. And, oh, yeah, there's Islanders all-star John Tavares. Well, big deal. Of course he's here. But with Barzell, they, you know, they had him spotlighted on the screen and they had him you know, showing him on the bench. They showed his reaction after he missed a goal that was kind of an open net goal that he, he could have scored. And 
the kid looked kind of ticked off that he missed it, just like it wasn't a real game. And so I, I, I came away with it very, very impressed. I was very, very happy. You know, we shouldn't look for validation from outside sources like that. I get it. I think I said something like that last week. But you know what? When you're watching the All-Star game and they're fawning over your boy, feels pretty good, I got to say. Yeah, more more about the Crosby and Latang than anything because uh, I was I, I think I was just saying, just saying this to Arthur. It's pretty sad or, and, and you that I already forget if I brought it up. <laughs> but um, that they uh, – I've never – you, you didn't really hear people talk about John Tavares in the same way. And this, this might be, you know, a little bias and sour grapes, but the Tavares, the narrative when people were interviewed on other teams saying, Oh, you know, he, he was really good tonight when they were playing against him or, you know, at these type of events or preseason stuff, they'd be like, Oh, you know, like he works so hard. He competes so hard. He, he just, he wants to win a strong on the puck. And he's so, he's got great hockey IQ where Barzal, like it's, they, they are literally, watching him and enjoying watching him play because he's that good at um and he's that skilled he's 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 got more flash than Tavares had Tavares perhaps had you know more strength on the puck and was maybe a little bit harder to play against like in a tight space Barzal was literally taking their their breath breath away Crosby and the tang and I remember when Crosby was uh really hitting his stride um and the the Penguins had that um 24-7. They had the, the Winter Classic and they did the 24-7 with the Penguins. I remember Pascal Dupuis talking about Sidney Crosby on the on like a driving scene to the arena and he's like and he was just glowing about him. And that's and I, I was like Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang sound like Pascal Dupuis did talking about Crosby, <laughs> talking about Matt Barzal, which right. is awesome. And and he's and another thing too, and this is, you know, I'm you might I'm definitely reading too much into it. But it's cool to get taken away and down this way. It's like Matt Barzal lives for these moments. Yes. He showed it against the Leafs. He showed it in the All-Star game. And that's like another reason why I'm confident that this team can get this job done, this job being staying in the race and winning a playoff uh, playoff berth, is because he isn't going to shy away from these high-stakes games. The Capitals game, when, when they went back to Washington, he played fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, that Leafs game, the All-Star game, these, these big moments he doesn't ever – he doesn't – it's not that he even shies away from it. He doesn't grip his stick too hard. Right. He doesn't try to do too much, it seems like. He just is so good that he doesn't need to do that, and he will still have an effect on the game. He's very comfortable. I mean, you can see in the All-Star game, he was very comfortable. He talked about how you know playing with his idols, and oh my God, I'm on a line with Sidney Crosby, and Patrick Kane is there. But like he looks very comfortable around these guys, and he looks very comfortable having them watch him do his thing, which again is you know kind of rising to that moment. And showing off, basically. I mean, what's the All-Star game if not a show-off? A showy showcase for show-offs. That's what the All-Star game is. So, uh, yeah, no, it was really cool. They should change the name to that. <laughs> the NHL's showy show, showcase for show-offs. Um, no, but see, and I'm glad you mentioned that because they wouldn't change. Obviously, that's ridiculous. They wouldn't change the name for the All-Star game because, mainly, NBC is the no-fun-allowed channel. And if I have one complaint about the, the All-Star game, it's that this is a fun, frivolous, ridiculous event that's really for sponsors, as people have said many times, and it brings the best players together before they all head off to Bermuda or Aruba or wherever. And like, But the problem is the programming of the guys doing the, the, the commentating and the, and the color analysis for NBC doesn't allow them to have fun. Like Keith Jones isn't a guy you go to for everything. He might tell you cool, funny stories when he's off camera, but on camera, he's as dry as a bone. And then, of course, Pierre is just the less said about Pierre Maguire, the better. And Kenny Albert's great. Like, I love Kenny Albert's, you know, 
Kenny Albert when he does a you know the play by play, but you don't go to him for like fun, enjoyable frivolity and hey, this is great. I don't know where Doc was, but at least like Doc laughs during games sometimes because when something crazy happens and I just it, it was kind of missing that element of like hey kids this is kind of fun this is cool isn't this great I just I don't know it that that part really bugged me but when they were talking about Barzell it bugged me a lot less <laughs> I know yeah. that's a homer thing to say but it's true no it's it, you can see just even like the way they handle talking about games on, on their pregame show too it's just like they're completely missing the mark on almost every, like on a nightly it's hard to it's really hard to miss the mark the way they do on a nightly basis uh so yeah it's it's i i the only reason i i was watching a little bit of it i uh i had a little bit of money down on barzalo and mvp so when i saw that he was on the like the vote ballot i was excited yeah. i also i got a little cheeky and and took a piece of uh jack eichel and uh Someone who else did I? Oh, I, Eric Carlson. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I mean, that's I mean, I was watching. I, I I don't really care for it, but but for those things as as much as maybe I used to or I should. And um, but just having Barzal doing these things like made me more invested by the second. Yeah. Um, and I almost didn't. I didn't realize that Kenny Albert was calling the game when you said that. I thought I just thought docked it <laughs> until the second uh, because I literally was just so focused on. On yeah. Barzal, getting him out of there safely. Yeah. He, he seemed, he, you know, it was fine. There was that scary moment where, where Seth, Seth Jones got tripped, and I was like, "Yeah, I can't believe Seth Jones is in an Islander because that's how <laughs> I, that's how that's how I expect every Islander All Star player to, to 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 do." There was a save you know, that, that Henrik Lundqvist made that it was just really awkward. I mean, I don't I don't watch a lot of Rangers games. I don't know if this is the way he plays now at thirty five or however old he is. But he made a save that was really awkward, and for a moment there, I felt really bad for Rangers fans. Like, oh my god, like and that was really if he could come up lame there, man, I would. I don't know what. I, I mean, obviously we've all we have been there because of the whole Rick DiPietro thing, which happened in, didn't even happen in the game. It happened in the skills competition. But I felt like a really weird sense of oh, thank God that Robin Leonard isn't here because I would every save would drive me completely bananas. And, and yeah, that that <laughs> that. Rick DiPietro injury, I think, was so seismic, mm. and, and it's and it to everybody else. I remember around like the it was league. yesterday. I think we've talked about oh, it yeah. a few times. Yeah, <laughs> but like that, everyone else around the league, it was like kind of like a funny footnote in a very Shakespearean career. Mm. But to Islander fans, that that really plays into the that moment played into the psyche of mm. that era, and just how everything kind of unraveled. Uh, that <laughs> that was really, and, and, and you just heard me talking about you know, making sure Matt Barzal gets out of that game. Okay. And it's really <laughs> all goes back to that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and that goes for any, uh, yeah, any was, international. I mean, again, with, with Tavares too, when he got hurt at Sochi, yeah, it was like, hurt. Oh my God, yep. it's a, the whole thing all over again. Any, any international tournament, all-star e- exhibition. Anything? Just, and to, even like, it's, it's not the same wavelength, but when Oposo and Mark Streit got hurt in preseason oh. <laughs> and missed the entire season. <laughs> yeah. 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 Streit was out for the whole season. Oposo half. And uh, yeah. they had a good team that year. That was the uh, the Wisniewski year. They were they were looking okay that year. And then yeah, they, they came out of the gates uh, all right. And and I, I remember where I was when I read that the the two or uh, that Stride I guess was out. And I just like threw my my yeah. my old phone like slammed it down on a God, bathroom sink. That was they were so upset. Uh, another uh, uh, it's it's too late in the in the the episode to get into all that again. <laughs> uh, we we've covered a lot of ground, and uh, again, the Islanders have a lot of ground to cover uh, this month. But uh, yeah, hopefully they can you know get get right back to yeah. where they they were it's, before 
the break. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. this season. I was saying to my friend Cody earlier today, like he just he, he lives in Texas now, and he texts me just we, he was checking in. Big big Islander fan, and uh, I was like, this season just kind of changed everything. And it, like, because nobody, you know, you weren't expecting it in a, in a, in a good way. Hmm. It changed. I think everybody's everybody's winter got a little bit better. We, we everything for for Islander fans, and I I couldn't really think of another way to put it besides like, yeah, the season has just kind of changed everything for the better. Hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. It's been. <laughs> I can't. I don't know how many times we could possibly say it, but if you were asked to that, you know, to sign on a dotted line, or or if you were. You know, told this is the way it's going to be at this point in the season. We would all have signed up for this. So this has been yeah, incredible. it's crazy. I'm I've a, I, there's a couple of boxing matches coming up in April, and I was like thinking about, and I'm like, wait, I can't make plans. Hmm. <laughs> that could be a playoff. That could be a playoff night. Yeah, right? Well, you could watch so. them on the zone. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's the easily the worst part of this whole season has been that commercial eight thousand yeah. times every game. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> it is. Uh, okay, uh, anything else? Do we forget anything else? I think we covered everything. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. I, I feel good about this episode. Yes, so do I. Well, and any episode we can get art on is, is a good episode. Uh, okay, so uh, so some real quick plugs, uh, real quick, uh, <laughs> real quick plugs, real quick. Um, March 16th, again, Dan and Noel at the Offside Tavern. Uh, Nick Hershon is going to be there, author of We Want Fish Sticks. Uh, you go there, you can watch the game, and then they're going to have a live uh, Isles Buzz after that. So you should absolutely go. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Check it out. March 16th, Offside Tavern. That's a Saturday. You should definitely go. Uh, sneakyathletic.com. Put uh, anxiety in the discount code box. You save yourself 10%. Again, a lot of games in the Coliseum coming up. You want the Fort Never Lose stuff. You want the GOAT, Matt Barzell stuff uh, to, to show off, especially on the uh, 28th to see who the, the real GOAT is. Uh, you want that stuff, you can get it. If you order it now, I'm sure you'll get it all by then. Uh, sneakyathletic.com, 10% off. If you type in anxiety in the discount code box, uh, you should absolutely do that. Uh, NHLnames.com uh, was designed by our friends Spiz and NDRE. You should check it out. Uh, I've decided to – I'm sorry, I meant to mention this before we came on. I decided to uh, christen an NHLnames.com NHL name of the week. And this week's NHLnames.com NHL name of the week is – Sheldon Rempel looking for his first touch. Sheldon Rempel. Of the L.A. Kings, Sheldon Rempel. I thought it was Rempel. Right. It is Rempel. Um, I'm sure his friends all call him Rempel Stiltskin. But I guess I got very you, you just that was great because I, I like I said I didn't know about that. I was I just perked up. It was that was I like that. Thank you, thank you. I I, I put a, a whole 45 seconds of thought into that. <laughs> but yeah, Sheldon Rempel uh, is this week's NHLnames.com NHL name of the week. So go to NHLnames.com, check it out. It's a fun site to hang out at. Uh, tell everybody your Twitter handle right now. Uh, the Big Lebowski with two E's. The Big Lebowski with two E's. You should absolutely follow Mike there because he's got all kinds of cool stuff for you. And uh, he's just, uh, I don't know, he's a fun follow on Twitter. There you go. I said it. Uh, okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, buckle up because it's going to be quite a month for the Islanders. Thanks again to Arthur Staple for coming on for the, with us. And we will talk to you again next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye.